This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Although the world is full of suffering, it is also filled with the overcoming of it. These words, shared by Helen Keller, Alana's ancestor, have been a source of encouragement and inspiration throughout her life. When in dark places, they have been a reminder for Alana about the truth of who and what she is, the truth of who and what we all are as human beings. From the moment of birth, we are dominantly conditioned to turn away from uncomfortable emotions and sensations. We are living in a culture of distraction and numbing, seeking self-worth and acceptance outside of ourselves. We are not often encouraged to turn inwards, to acknowledge and embrace the discomforts of the human experience. More and more research is revealing the connection between our physical and emotional experiences and the consequences of burying our emotions under ice cream, social media, and the latest technology fad. When we deny our emotions, this energy becomes stored in the body and can create physical symptoms, dis-ease. It has also been learned that we are unable to selectively numb our experiences. When we resist turning towards our sadness, anger, and physical pain, we also limit our access to joy, connection, and peace. Turning towards suffering offers the possibility of transforming it. By acknowledging and observing emotions and sensations without judgment and with compassion, our nervous system becomes increasingly familiar with them, thus deactivating the fear response. We move from a state of protection to a state of connection, internally and externally. In this state of connection, we are more able to experience compassion, gratitude, joy, and love within ourselves and in relationship with others. Valeria Tellez interviews Alana Newton, psychotherapist, founder of Compati Counseling, mindfulness practitioner, light worker, and speaker. Alana has been a healer for as long as she can remember, having attempted to revive many dead birds with the kiss of life. She formally entered the healing profession over 20 years ago as a registered nurse, then shifted her career becoming a psychotherapist to deepen her exploration of the human experience. Living with a rare disease associated with physical pain, Alana has been gifted the moment-by-moment opportunity to practice being with emotional and physical suffering. The diagnosis, coupled with her father's death, abruptly pulled back the veil of certainty and control in life. She was catapulted into her spiritual awakening and woke up to her authentic self, the truth of her existence and her purpose in this lifetime. Weaving her knowledge, experience, and awareness of body, mind, heart, and soul, Alana bridges science and spirituality to integrate all parts of the human experience. She gently guides her clients to become curious and compassionate about their emotional and physical experiences and supports their transition from protection to connection, from fear to love. Alana believes when we reconnect with our true nature as human beings, our unconditional love, we have the ability to transform and transcend suffering. Starting with herself, Alana's life purpose is to cultivate compassion, joy, and peace on earth, one person at a time. Alana has recently launched her private practice, Kumpati Counseling, where she compassionately guides clients towards their reconnection with their authentic selves. She is also a consultant and public speaker about the lived experience of chronic illness and embodying an aligned and meaningful life. Meet Alana at kompaticounseling.com. Here's the interview with Alana Newton. In your own words, who is Alana Newton? Mm-hmm. 
I appreciate this question. Who is Alana Newton? Actually, I'm going to add my middle name in there. Who is Alana Joy Newton? This is a name I've connected more and more with as I've awoken to my true self. But I can answer that question in so many ways. I'm a, I'm a mother. I'm a friend. I'm a daughter. I'm a psychotherapist and a healer. And if we pull back and see the like the forest through the trees, I am a soul, a very old soul. I've come to learn living my energy of love, compassion, and joy. There's my joy. This is the essence of me and of my being. And I'm living this experience as a human this time around. And um, I used to, sometimes I jokingly refer to it as my human jumpsuit. <laughs> I'm in this human body as my human jumpsuit. So yeah, I'm energy. I'm a vibration mm. of love and joy. Mm, I love that answer. <laughs> of course, what is not to love about it? It's so open and so light, as I said, off record. It feels light. So thank you for being open to life, Amanda. And with that in mind, I guess I want to explore more from the get-go about your story and your message. I have a question here for you. Mm -hmm. Talk to me a bit more, or I would love to hear more about your experience um, with physical, emotional pain, your spiritual awakening, and also what it was like to meet your true self, your authentic self? Hmm. Yeah, it feels like it's been a, a remembering of, you know, my whole life I've been remembering who my true self is. And uh, I can recall early experiences in childhood. Maybe it happened once, maybe it was a hundred times, I don't know, but gazing in the mirror and not quite recognizing the body I was inhabiting. I was feeling a bit disconnected from my physical self. I didn't know what I was seeing. And I kind of just kept repeating my name back in the mirror, almost as if to ground myself in this human experience. So early on, I can recall not feeling quite uh, like I belonged or something in this body. Couldn't quite make sense of what this body was. And I disconnected from it for lots of reasons. The head knowing was sort of the dominant way of knowing in my family and a body knowing or an intuition was not really spoken about or acknowledged. So I didn't really feel like I belonged. I spoke a very different language than those surrounding me. And so I disconnected from this knowing. I also experienced a lot of pain in my body, which I didn't realize at the time. I And so living in body was a very uncomfortable experience. I disconnected from it. It didn't feel safe or comfortable or understood by others or even by myself. And so I navigated my world mostly in my head. Fast forward, uh, well, I guess about 30 years, <laughs> I came to understand what the physical pain in my body was. And I was diagnosed with a rare genetic disorder called uh, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. So it's a genetic disorder of the connective tissues. And uh, the connective tissues I've learned are, is everywhere in the body, not just joints and ligaments and skin, but it's everywhere, internal organs, uh, heart vessels, etc. So I came to understand uh, this physical pain that I had experiencing my whole life and, and disconnected from because it was overwhelming. I didn't know what it was. And so I came, yeah, it had a label, <laughs> it had a title. And there was relief, <laughs> some vindication in that, that, you know, all these, you know, various ailments and injuries, etc., that I had experienced my whole life finally had, you know, a diagnostic label, which provided a sense of relief and vindication, you know, with living with an invisible condition uh, was often disregarded by family and uh, healthcare professionals, etc. Yeah, so getting that diagnosis was a relief, but it was also grief. <laughs> it was also grief. Okay, what does this mean now for my life? What does this diagnosis mean? And, and it comes with a host of other diagnoses <laughs> and symptoms that have been emerging over time. And so I was really confronted with my mortality. And that, that point, Around that time is when I catapulted into this spiritual awakening or this remembering of who I am, of my authentic self. Yeah, I'll just pause there for a moment um, as I sit with what I just shared. And yeah, <laughs> I think about the authentic self. I think about love, of course, that comes to mind. Not just love as, as so many of us have different ideas of, but unconditional love. And then, of course, joy, it's another word that I use. But for you, Alana, 
how would you describe the feeling or the uh, even the understanding, the intellectual understanding of the authentic self? Hmm. Yeah. You know, my intellectual understanding is so interwoven with my kind of gut knowing, right? My gut understanding. And, you know, the authentic self is, uh, you know, who we are before uh, we are exposed to all this conditioning and patterning in our in our world, in our families, in our societies. I know for myself, I adopted many, you know, roles and titles and because I thought I had to, I thought I needed to be certain things to be accepted, to be loved. And of course, as we all know, as humans, we have a sense, a need for belonging. And so I'm recognizing more and more how I've contorted myself uh, to belong, perhaps in areas where they it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't for me to belong, you know, was it those weren't my places and spaces to be? Um, but you know, recognizing that, um, yeah, the authentic self is—I oh, was going to say who we are born, but I think it goes even. I mean, I know for myself, I've come to recognize I'm an old soul, so this is not my first incarnation here. And so authentic self, yeah, back to that kind of energetic vibration of our true being. And so taking off, I mean, my life has been a evolving process of peeling off those layers of who I thought I needed to be to be unconditionally loved and coming to the truth of it is I am unconditional love. Mm, yes. <laughs> I right. am. We yeah. all are. I love that because I talk and I write a lot about self-love. And then when I think now, when I, from the perspective of the authentic self, it's almost like the idea of self-love is not needed anymore because yeah. love doesn't need love to love itself. <laughs> oh, I love that. Right? <laughs> so true. So true. But it is a process though, right? Yeah. It really is a process and, you know, coming into self-love, I mean, it's still an ongoing obstacle for me. You know, I often equated self-love with being selfish. That was the message I got in my world. And so being self-loving was to be selfish, which was like mortal sin is the message <laughs> I got. And so, yeah. and so, you know, it's even to, like, so I see it almost as like a stepwise progression of first, you know, well, not first, but at some point in this trajectory of evolution, coming to this place of self-love and fully embodying self-love, living, breathing, eating, validating self-love to get to that knowing place, you know, to peel back even that layer as, as we're talking about, right? Even that, that layer of self-love to get to that, well, I am love. So love to love itself is kind of redundant. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, so that might be what we call evolution, Right, Elena? Mm. The evolution of the human experience of the soul. Yeah, that's how I refer to it. Yeah. So with that in mind, I guess a question that I would love to ask you and explore more, it's the idea of suffering. What is the purpose of suffering? Why do we suffer so much in order to uncover the authentic self? Ah, you know, and this has been my experience. You know, I've had physical sensations in the body. I've had emotional experiences that... I could label as suffering, others might label as suffering, um, depending on <laughs> the moment I may, you know, still label it as suffering. You know, but I've come to learn in my own experiences that, you know, in that dark place is often where we find our light. It's where I found my light. Um, the wound is the place where the light enters you. <laughs> I've heard that said in many different ways. And so for me in my life, the experience of suffering has opened my heart, has cracked my heart open hundreds of times to keep it open. And in that cracked open place, I, I am more open to compassion. So I almost think of compassion and suffering as being opposite sides of the coin. You know, can we actually experience compassion for self and for others if we haven't experienced suffering? I know my suffering has opened me so much more to the suffering of the world of others and has opened to me, opened me to much greater depths of compassion. So, you know, without, without suffering, I believe we'd be without compassion. And so then what kind of world would that be? <laughs> so compassion, that's uh, another interesting idea, concept that we have. Is there a difference between compassion and love from your hmm. understanding? Yeah, you know, that's something I haven't really mulled over much until you asked. Yeah, until just now. So let me just go to my gut for that knowing. 
this is what's coming up for me right now in my gut, that intuitive place, that love is um, love is an energy. Love is a vibration. Love is what we are. It's a what we are. And compassion is the expression of that, maybe. I don't know. I'm still, it's coming to me as we speak, but compassion is the expression of that love. The feeling and holding of another's suffering and then the desire to alleviate it uh, or to hold it, uh, not to fix it, right? Alleviate is not to fix, but to hold, to be with. And so I think compassion is the action or is the kind of the human response to our energetic vibration of love. That's what's coming up for me right now. (laughs) Yeah, it resonates true. So it is the expression of love in the sense of connecting and helping others. Yeah. So coming from that deep place of understanding that cannot sometimes be uh, transmitted to so many of us because we are not ready. Some of us are not ready to hear that you are love. You don't need love. (laughs) How many of us can hear that, really? Oh, yeah. I'm still on that journey, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So what comes to me, and I have been contemplating these days, is the idea of karma Mm. from the Hinduism and Buddhism. Mm -hmm. So many of those teachings, spiritual teachings, they mention karma when it comes to suffering. So from your Mm. understanding Mm. as of now, Alana, from having experiences with past lives too, do you kind of agree with this idea of karma that we are kind of, it's not a punishment, but it's Mm -hmm. it's just the carry on of energy, however it comes, good and bad. Yeah. I, yeah, again, I, and I appreciate your distinction of karma not being a punishment. I think often it can be interpreted that way, and and I don't interpret it that way either. Um, but it's like this energetic kind of carryover <laughs> into the next life of, you know, perhaps lessons that hadn't yet been learned or experienced to kind of uncover, to peel back all that conditioning, all that, to get, to crack open to the truth of self. And so... Suffering is often part of that path. I mean, it certainly has been for me and in many that I work with. Suffering is is part of that path of uncovering true self. So, uh, yeah, I don't think suffering in this lifetime, my suffering in this lifetime is as a punishment or anything like that from a previous life, but I there was carryover. <laughs> um, there was carryover. My soul had not, uh, you know, evolved in you know, to quite this degree in this human body previously. Yeah. That's very similar to the concepts of karma. It is this, you call it carry over. That makes sense. The wording even, it makes sense to me. It mm-hmm. resonates true. Mm-hmm. So that's called the, I think mm-hmm. some people refer to the soul or the subtle body that carries all those imprints. But then ultimately, we're not the body, the physical body. We're not the, even the subtle body, we are not the soul even, we are this unconditioned presence, energy that can Mm -hmm. be everything in anything Mm -hmm. at any time. So I wonder Mm -hmm. if there is a destination when it comes to, it seems like it doesn't because if we are just energy with no imprints, there's nothing there really, it's just, it can be anything. Mm -hmm. So in order to become something we have to carry some of these mm. imprints, those memories, right, from previous experiences to make this happen, <laughs> to make yeah, this Yeah, right? This ah, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, reflection. I'm going to mull that over. Mm. It makes sense. I keep having conversations about that. I keep listening to and yeah. I do a lot of readings, and I have, I'm very much, for some reason, attracted to the um, Advaita Vedanta. I'm not sure if you heard about this. I haven't. Philosophy. It's from Hinduism. I was into Buddhism before, but now Vedanta. Mm. It's all about, Vedanta basically means like the final text, the final message mm. for what life is. Mm. So it's like some scriptures, old, old scriptures from uh, India. And that, it really resonates, a lot of the, the teachings there. And the things you say make sense too, kind of they, mm. they come together so in the end, I, I know we want to know too much. <laughs> it's not even about knowledge. It's about sometimes the unknown, being comfortable with the unknown. 
Yeah, I have stacks and stacks of books, but <laughs> I, you know, I just keep, I'll just, oh, I'm a voracious learner. I just, I want to acquire more and more knowledge, you know, but my path to my understanding has really come through my experience and being connected with my gut and my intuition, not from books. Mm. <laughs> but when I hear, you know, what I hear is the universal mm. message reiterated by you, by, you know, by other books, by other speakers, by other authors. I'm reminded of the, this universal truth, Yeah, um, you know, that we're, yeah. yeah. Mark Nepo said that uh, each being has the story of the universe encoded within them. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. I like, yeah, we all have this knowing, we all have this truth. And and uh, how beautiful that, you know, we all package it perhaps a little bit differently through our own life, ex- unique life experiences. But I feel like there is this universal wisdom, this universal truth that's uh, repackaged over and over and over. Buddha, Jesus, Rumi, Brene Brown, you, me. <laughs> it's just repackaged. Hmm. Isn't it? So it's just a different way of, um, of expressing that truth. And, and it's sometimes just also being ready to hear some of the messages, the way they are being so clearly expressed. You talk about some things that a lot of human beings, other human beings and other people wouldn't be able to understand. Mm. They are not ready. And that's Mm. another question that Mm -hmm. I often ask. What makes us ready to be open to this deeper truth? Oh, good question. Yeah. Well, I can think of my own experience. Uh, Why was I ready? I I was at rock bottom in so many ways. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) I Mm. was at the bottom of a deep, dark well. Um, I was questioning my mortality with my diagnosis. My son had the same, was diagnosed at the same time as myself. So also, you know, thinking about his mortality. My father died uh, within that time. And then I was, you know, confronting my whole life. Like, is this the life I'm meant to be living. And from there, I went through a divorce and change of career. And, you know, so, yeah. So back to your question, what allowed me to awaken? Oh, like I almost don't, didn't think I had any other choice. Mm. <laughs> if I was going to stay on this planet, <laughs> in this body, I needed to wake up to the truth of my being. And I was also so fortunate to be you know, in contact with many energetic practitioners, shamans, light workers, uh, you know, which supported me in my awakening. And uh, I, I kind of stumbled upon a sense of trust within myself and a, a sense of trust, well, within myself, but, you know, it's the universe within me. It's the divine within me, um, within all of us, I believe. But I I hadn't had any sort of religious upbringing or in the concept of a God seemed a bit daunting and, and uh, just didn't really resonate for me. But it was in this really dark place that I did make contact, mostly through meditation, but I did make contact with something much greater than me and recognizing that it is within me. <laughs> and so this trust, I think it's, I think it's a, I think it's a trust, a knowing that provides that tethering to be with uncertainty when those winds of uncertainty come along, because they do, <laughs> they do, um, to just hold on to that gut knowing. Yeah. I love to hear that the way you say it. It's just so clear to me. It's not that we become ready. Uh, it's not even a choice. It's almost like life being itself and mm. doing what it does, which is all about the uncovering of itself through the human body or or anything, or a tree or the animals. Yeah, that just resonates so true because I do not believe in choice, Mm -hmm. not personal choice. I don't think we choose anything. I Mm -hmm. think we can be Mm -hmm. open enough to see the options and then perhaps kind of, uh, and not even deciding to go to pick a specific option that's not even a choice. <laughs> mm-hmm. To me, it's almost like everything's already designed. But I know it, it really feels that way, Alana. Mm-hmm. That's already, mm-hmm. there's a design here. There's a plan, per se. But it doesn't feel like it. It feels like it's everything so free. This unconditioned energy presence, it's free. So yeah. by being free, it has also, it's almost like freedom is not free. It has patterns. Yeah. Yeah, and I think... Which is love. (laughs) Right? It goes back to love. (laughs) And they're, I mean, as you're sharing that, I'm like, oh, yeah, it is both true, right? It's both true that we we have freedom and we have 
and we don't. We have yes. choices and we don't. Right. There's, there's kind of a, there's a predetermined journey for us and there isn't, like, you know, and to hold that both end has been so much of my experience to hold those contrasts, to hold the dark and the light. You know, it's not an either or, this or that. And I've come to recognize that, you know, when in the fear brain, when in the, you know, in the ego mind, that the, this or that, that's where we go for safety. And of course we do, you know, it makes sense that, you know, it's this or it's that. When in fear, we want certainty. We want a sense of control, the illusion of control. We want, you know, to, you know, to be told what to do or whatever. We just want clear answers because we're in survival mode. And so, you know, we go to that dichotomous place. It's this or it's that. But if we can be with the uncertainty, that's the truth of our existence. And this is something that I've learned in my experience living with chronic illness. And yeah, is that the uncertainty is the truth of of all human experience. And I've become up close and personal with it as many have um, through chronic illness or other, you know, significant life changes. But the truth of our experience, yeah, is that uncertainty and to be with that. (laughs) I love that. I love the wisdom. It's timeless wisdom. That's what Mm -hmm. I call it because it sounds like it. The paradox, just being comfortable with standing in between, not choosing, just standing in between two opposite extremes and being in the middle somehow. Mm-hmm. What a beautiful dance, isn't it? It's mm, fascinating so to be here. I, and I remember asking that question when I was, I think, around seven years old. What mm. am I doing here? <laughs> what, how did this happen? Am I? And then the mm-hmm. thought came, oh, you're here again. Oh, I'm back. Wow. And that's how I know, but I don't know at the same time <laughs> that yes. this is uh, an ongoing um, dance. Mm. And I have heard before... Because I talk to so many people, and then I hear yeah. so many things. <laughs> and sure. let me see if this resonates with you, okay. which resonated with me deeply too, about that we are already free in that sense. There's no awakening, really. I mean, mm. although there is, you see the paradox mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, mm-hmm. we are free because all minds are connected, and some human beings have come here and already have done the work of liberating all of us in all minds. So, this is in a way, is a dream and is a past. This is the past. It's not really happening in the sense of um, the ultimate reality. So, yeah, I'd love to hear from you when it comes to, <laughs> yeah, to that perspective. So what comes up, yeah, that we're already free. That rings true for me. <laughs> we are already free. I, I think of Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meeting, and this is something I read, you know, I was quite young <laughs> at the time to be reading it, but I definitely gravitated towards, you know, what is it to be free? I think of that experience and, like, you know, having that freedom to... I, I get to dance around the word choose because it doesn't, it's not exactly the word I'm looking for, but, you know, to the freedom to choose our response um, to a particular situation. That's something I've certainly carried through my life, you know, and so this, you know, that the, the kind of the collective unconscious that we're, that we're all already free. I do believe that. And I, and I think each of us go on our individual journeys of, you know, kind of peeling off these layers of conditioning, usually precipitated by suffering, <laughs> or that's my, been my experience. So peeling off these layers of conditioning to see that truth. The, the world has been, I, I think I would say that it seems to me the world is waking up the last few years, uh, perhaps with so much suffering, that collective suffering. And when I'm in a certain energetic space, I can feel like it's already done. We are already mm, free. Right. I, I see, I almost have visions of, or it's just a strange uh, timeline jump. <laughs> I'm here, but not here. Right? <laughs> yes. that, but I'm like, oh, we're already liberated. We're already free. But this is just the process that humanity needs to go through collectively to peel back all those layers and recognize our true freedom. Spiritual guides, I would love to talk to you about that, uh, feeling guided by others who have transitioned. In your case, you're Nana, as you call yeah. her. So yeah. I'd love to hear more about that as well. Yeah. So my middle name, which is, you know, coming to the surface for me is more and more meaningful. Uh, I'm really connecting with joy uh, as my name, as really my energetic essence. Um, joy and compassion is really the energy I I am in this world. <laughs> it is it is my purpose here. And so my Nana 
Uh, I was the uh, fourth grandchild after three grandsons, and she was very excited about my birth. And I was born uh, five days before Christmas, and Joy to the World was playing on the radio. And she was there at my birth, and she said, this baby, this is going to be Joy. This is my Joy. Um, and so my parents <laughs> wanted to name me Alana, so, so Joy became my middle name. And I... As I've awakened more and more, I've felt a stronger connection with this name, with this vibration, joy. And my grandmother, my nana, died before I was two. So I don't uh, have a, you know, memory of her in this lifetime, not much, but I can feel her energy and I feel it in my name and the energy of my name. And I have had moments, uh, they started with deep meditation. I started a meditation practice quite deeply about 10 years ago and um, um, and I felt I could feel her there. And now it's, I can feel her right now <laughs> as we speak. And um, I've come to understand, or I've kind of given this label of spiritual guide. I know that she's there and supporting and guiding me. And uh, I'll often kind of turn to her, not even verbally in my head, but just sort of energetically and like, what now? What do I do? <laughs> Where do I go? And so she's been a guide, a presence in my whole life that I've woken up to more and more. And then my father died a few years ago and and he's, I can feel him too. <laughs> and just this morning I was sitting with his energy and, um, and this is coming from a, you know, a fairly agnostic atheist family. <laughs> so, you know, these concepts were not taught to me. They've come to me in my own truth of my own experience. And then I try to identify what does this mean? And then I come up with titles like spiritual guides. Uh, I wasn't looking for a spiritual guide, but I felt the presence of, I'm like, what is that? And then I came to learn, oh, that could be a spiritual guide. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. And that takes being open too, right, Lana? Yeah. To energies, subtle energies around us, because they are always communicating. Oh, yeah. I feel it. <laughs> right, <Yeah>. me too. <laughs> yeah. Would you say the meditation helps? You just mentioned practicing meditation. Oh, oh yes. I mean, it, I, I, there was a time where I was quite deeply immersed in it. And now, yeah, the human schedule, the human <laughs> clock kind of maybe gets in the way of me practicing for an hour sit in the morning and an hour sit in the evening. And so I don't practice in the same way. But I've kind of primed those pathways in my brain and my being and that I can access that knowing, that truth, that uh, trust, that connection uh, with spirits and others. Uh, I can connect with it in a moment now. I, it, it, and I, I think it's really because I have shifted those pathways that now that's more available to me. Um, I don't need to sit for an hour. <laughs> um, I, can, I can access it. Yeah. Oh, I love yeah. that. And yeah. I have heard something very similar about, that has to do with this, somebody saying that the door is open, that um, the door to the invisible world mm -hmm. or the authentic self is never closed. So mm -hmm. we can always go in and out without mm -hmm. too much practice or trying too hard mm -hmm. to get it's there. It's like moving those blocks out of the way. You know, with the fear blocks or the skepticism blocks mm -hmm. or whatever, yeah. you know, that doesn't make sense blocks, you know, whatever yeah. blocks we have <laughs> yeah. in the way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and sometimes, yeah. Oh, yeah. Tell me about it. And I have heard also that love is the opposite of fear. Mm. Do you agree? I do. I do. That rings so true to me. You know, when I, uh, so I was formerly a nurse, so I understand body and nervous system science quite well. And so I often think about what's the science of my body? What's happening right now? And so I think of, you know, when in fear, we're in this sympathetic activation state, right? We're in this pr crisis mode, uh, protect, protection mode. And so when I think protect, you know, we put walls up. And so when we have walls up, there's no ability to connect with others. So we can't, both protect and connect mm. at the same time. I just love the alliteration of that. We can't both protect. And then again, I'm not black and white, so maybe it's possible sometimes. But <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> but I just that reminder of that opposite of fear and love. So fear is protection. Love is connection. And so if we're in fear, we're not in love. Love is in that parasympathetic state. Love is that in that undefended, repair, heal, grow, regenerative state. Um, and the walls are down. The walls are down between self and other and within self. And so, yeah, I really feel that, um, yeah, that those two sides of the coin there, mm -hmm. fear, and, fear and love. Yeah. There was a guest that I interviewed. Her name is Eloisa Ramos. She mm. said, all healing is the release of fear. 
kind of makes uh, sense to me as well. Uh, Fascinated. Yes. I just felt my shoulders soften as you said that, the truth of that. I'm like, ah, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. The release of all fears. When I heard that, yeah, really, I mean, the body responded to was true. And then I wondered, the question was, how can we lose all fears? Is that possible? <laughs> Not to be afraid of anything. Yeah. Well, you know, and I've also come to be compassionate for our experience here as humans, have compassion for our egos that are in fear. You know, this is part of the human experience. So, I, you know, I, I, there was a time where I wanted to get rid of my ego and get rid of fear and get rid of that reactivity, (laughs) but really it is, it is pretty important. It does keep us safe. It's very, you know, kind of primitive brain, but it does keep us safe. It is important. And so, um, to not kind of, to, to, to not bring fear (laughs) to our fear, to not, you know, reject this fearful part of self. Can we also embrace fearful part of self and accept all parts of ourselves? not rejecting any parts of self. And so in this human experience, fear is part of it. Can we embrace that? Yeah, Yeah. Uh, beautifully said too. For me, has been my experience. I remember the biggest fear that I ever had in the human experience was being afraid to fear. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? That was like the worst kind of experience. Yeah. That's it. So not being afraid, resisting, even fear, just letting it be. Mm, I'm resisting. Whenever I hear resisting, I'm reminded by, you know, Carl Jung. And he said, uh, what we resist not only persists, but increases in size. (laughs) No, yeah, and we don't want to do that. So Um, if we resist fear, the volume will probably be turned up because it's our being trying to tell us something. So to listen to those messages of fear that it's bringing us, it's trying to keep us safe. And so if we resist it, it'll get louder. (laughs) Yeah, isn't it interesting? And then I heard somebody else saying recently, I interviewed her and her husband, Patricia and Bill Klum. Mm -hmm. They said something else that caught my attention. They said, even resistance is a movement too. Mm. So it's the movement within healing. So it's moving towards healing. Mm. So resistance is also a movement. Isn't that fantastic how all this comes together? When it has to do with movement, right? Life is about change and being open to change. And this movement, this dance, always, even if it comes in the form of resistance. Yep. I kind of... uh, I don't know if I try anymore. It's almost like I gave up trying mm-hmm. in the sense of just being open mm-hmm. to everything, the way mm-hmm. they come. If I don't sound so clear, if something in me is resisting something else here, it's okay. It's okay. I kind of relax. Yeah, I, try, I just let everything be. Just yeah. be. You it all be. belongs. It all belongs. All of this human experience all belongs. Yeah. Even if, yeah, it's not going to be the best result or the desired result, right? Because that's that's another idea we have about destinations and getting somewhere. So you are a psychotherapist, also the founder of Compati Counseling, mindful practitioner and a light worker and also a speaker. So I would love to hear from you, Alan, about how do you integrate science and spirituality when it comes to to your practice, Mm. although I do see the mindfulness piece here, which says a lot. You know, I, it is so much about clients' readiness to receive some of these messages that I've come to learn on my path of awakening. And so really honoring wherever it is they might be. Um, And often, I know my experience was living in kind of like a head world, (laughs) living in a head world, living in a logic (laughs) world, living in an academic (laughs) world, living in a scientific world. And so uh, that was my journey for many years, and it still is to a degree. Um, And so, you know, meeting clients there, that's often kind of the starting point. And I, I, yeah, I really meet them where they're at. And it's this co-created journey. I know what my path has been and many others, uh, but, you know, I'm open to they're going on a different path. <laughs> um, so I just listen for those kind of cues along the way that maybe maybe now is a good time for, you know, a message about um, connecting with spiritual self. Maybe now is a good, you know, maybe now they're ready to hear. And so, 
you know, I start with, um, I work with many people who have complex chronic illness, um, like myself, and this is my lived experience. So really starting with kind of that understanding of the nervous system that I've touched on a little bit about being in that sympathetic state and the parasympathetic state, being in protection versus connection, being in fear versus love. And so really bringing in practices of how to first increase that awareness of what's happening in body and living with, you know, chronic illness, often the experience has been disconnect from body because body has been a really uncomfortable place emotionally and physically. And so that real gentle ease, baby steps back into body, back into awareness of body, what's happening for body. When is body in fear? When is body in love? When is body? So really starting to reawaken those connections with body in a super gentle way. And so then, you know, there are lots of kind of different kind of activities and practices that I offer of ways of reconnecting with body and knowing, you know, kind of relieving oneself of the the shame that, uh, oh, my body's doing this thing. I know this is often the case for many people with chronic illness and a history of trauma is like, oh my gosh, you know, there I go again. I'm, you know, or I'm having this um, nightmare or I'm having this pain flare or whatever it is. Uh, and then almost the shaming themselves for it. So coming to an understanding of what's happening in the nervous system and bringing, you know, compassion and even gratitude for the nervous system to respond in the way that it is. (laughs) Thank you, nervous system, for telling me that this is not a safe scenario. Thank you, nervous system. So, you know, when when we can approach our body and our nervous system reactions with compassion and gratitude, that on its own will dial down, (laughs) dial down the symptoms, uh, dial down the sympathetic nervous system and start to dial up the parasympathetic nervous system, which is that gratitude and connection and love. Yeah, so that's kind of like the starting point. Yeah, yeah I can <laughs> baby, imagine. <laughs> baby steps and really not, you know, projecting my journey. Although I, I, you know, I can't help it but a little bit, you know, I kind of see myself often in my clients' experiences, but really honor where they're at and um, super gentle. Yeah, there's no, there's no single path for, you know, everyone. So, yeah, yeah. we are so unique. And I love that you added the word compati, which is uh, mm. means compassion in Latin, as I mm-hmm. just learned through you. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. So mm-hmm. it's called compati counseling. And I'll have the link on your podcast profile too, Alana. Mm, thank you. And the services you offer are individual counseling, uh, group counseling, and provider consultations. Mm-hmm. Do you offer remote online sessions as well? Besides you know, I, I, so I do currently work virtually. Uh, one of the gifts of the pandemic, the world is, um, yeah, working virtually these days. So um, I do work virtually. I am expanding. So even, you know, Compati Counseling is, is a new uh, birth for me. Um, I was previously working uh, at a healthcare institution and um, I had been kind of standing on the edge of, oh, I think my calling is to go private practice to really be able to give gift and work with others in the way I know I'm intended to work with them. And then I got a big kick. (laughs) Uh, The pandemic gave me a big kick to jump into my private practice. So, so it's, it's in its baby stages. (laughs) And um, yeah, I work virtually with individuals and with groups and I have big dreams, big ideas about how I'll grow my practice so that I can Oh, reach as many people as I can, whoever it is that needs to hear my message and my journey, whoever I have the possibility of supporting in their healing, I want to connect with them. So stay tuned. <laughs> yes, and I'll have the link on your podcast profile and I would love to meet you again, of course, yeah, for more conversations. Too. And one day if you write a book, please let me know. So I, I will. Let, you'll be one of the first. <laughs> You've already received a few drafts of it. <laughs> uh, yes, I did. That's true. It really sounded like a book, like the introduction yeah, of a book. It's coming, it's coming. Yeah. Uh-huh. I want to mention something that you wrote that really caught my attention. You said, tuning towards suffering offers the possibility of transforming it. And that also resonates. I mean, your message, it's so powerful, deep and true that that's what healing is all about. Mm-hmm. So it just resonates not just with me and my audience too, because that's mm. what we are all about here. Healing and being open to life. Yeah. 
to this point of being open to darkness as well. Yeah. And um, mm. listening and always mm. asking the question, what am I to see here? Mm. Something as I was preparing to speak with you, and I so appreciated this opportunity. Thank you again. I, I mean, I, it was. It feels like it's. Yeah, it's my first opportunity to kind of share my message with the world more broadly. So I was mulling over journals and various books, all my dog-eared books, and as I was reflecting on my own journey, uh, what came to me was to live without suffering is to live without joy. Ah, and wow. yeah, so I'm sitting with that. And again, it was just kind of landed mm. in my head in sort of a contemplative meditative state. It just dropped down from somewhere. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's been my experience. <laughs> to live without suffering is to live without joy. It comes from a very deep place. I mean, not deep. It's, it's here now, actually. It's not uncovered. It's not hidden, right? Uh-huh. Alana, the true self and who we really are. So I know where that comes from, <laughs> that mm-hmm. message. Mm-hmm. And I know it's a challenge for some of us to hear that because we are pushing away all the time, trying to escape suffering and pain. Mm-hmm. But that is so true. Yeah, Without experiencing suffering, we cannot experience the opposite because that's mm-hmm. what life is all about, mm-hmm. the paradox. I mean, there's experience in the human body. But I do believe that there is a place, I have kind of heard this message too, it resonated through, that there, the place for only joy, if there is one, that will be the spiritual world. In mm-hmm. the sense of we lose the body and mm-hmm. then now we are free to only have mm-hmm. joy. But then mm-hmm. at some point, I think we'll just we'll realize, wait a minute, <laughs> I'm just experiencing the same thing over and over and over again. <laughs> Let me go back into that human right? body experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that might happen. But who knows, yeah. so some of us might need to be in that space for longer so we can un- get to understand that. And then one day, like old souls like yourself, come back here and do the work. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much again, Alana, for being you. So pl- my pleasure for yeah being here and sharing this space with you. I Yeah. I do have a few more questions, the ending questions. But before that, would you like to add anything else that we didn't cover, that we didn't discuss, we forgot about it for some reason? Ah. <sighs> You know, I didn't have any agenda. <laughs> I was so open to our co-creation here that, um, yeah, it feels it feels complete. And I know there's so much more. So, well, yeah, <laughs> it yes. feels complete for today. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. And the ending questions, I would choose some of them. I'll ask you this one. What do you love most about being in the human body or being the human body in this moment? Oh, what do I love most about being in the human body? Um, hugs. <laughs> hugs. Yeah. Hugs, yeah. hugs. I love hugs. <laughs> hugs, really, like the energy of hugs, the the that I can express my love. I can transmit that energy of love that we all are. I can transmit that feeling of compassion that I hold so deeply uh, through a, a physical embrace. I mean, our bodies respond to each other in that way. And um, yeah, so hug. Actually, just this morning, um, before we spoke, I went out and hugged a tree. I did. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I do, of- I do often. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just that experience of a hug. And so giving and receiving that energetic connection. Oh, what a gift to be in this body. And even if I was a tree, maybe I could experience it too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. And then you mentioned hug. There's something about hugs. You're right. Um, and then about nature. I often wonder what it is about nature that it kind of opens the heart. Oh, yeah. Instantly. That's what it does yeah. to me. And I know some, so many of us feel the same way. Yeah. I have heard about uh, electric magnetic fields. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. More, me too. Right? Mm-hmm. All the, mm-hmm. these things. But it just feels right. And oh, what yeah. comes to me naturally is that because nature just lets life be yep. what it is through them without resisting. They are not yep. resistant to they don't create resistance to anything. Just, it just is. Yeah. Yeah. It just is. And, you know, we are nature. Yes. Uh, I think often we right. differentiate humans from nature and we are nature. And, you know, so it's a reminder for me of our ability to simply be, <laughs> simply be. Um, yeah. Yeah. A billion mm-hmm. times to that truth of just being here now. And <laughs> oh, it's mm-hmm. not, not easy to do. <laughs> no, <Right>? it's not. <laughs> it's not. It really feels like a practice. The last question is what three experiences you wish everyone to have before they lose the body, before they die? Unconditional love. 
unconditional love. And um, I believe it, you know, we often think of, well, I know I often think, and I think our society often thinks of unconditional love as being in relationship with another and, and it, and it can be, but what my wish for each person is to experience that unconditional love within self, to love all parts of self, to not reject or kind of cordon off parts of self. So I wish that everyone, yeah, can experience that unconditional love of self. I wish that everyone can experience hugs. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> right, that connection with someone else that might be a transmission of that unconditional love for self and other. And I wish, yeah, to see that light in the dark. Yeah, and they all kind of weave together, you know, so I'm seeing the overlaps here in, in my three wishes. But yeah, to see that little flicker of light in that really dark time, to, to know that it's there. It's there. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank mm. you so much, Alana, mm. for who, what you are <laughs> and for being aware of that, being open to life and for the wisdom that you carry and for passing that on, sharing, having the courage, the energy mm. to bring that to us. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for being you again. Uh, well, thank you so much for the opportunity to be me, <laughs> to, share, <laughs> to share me in this way. Yeah. Thank you. Again, the body appreciates, Alana, as I said off record. I always say that because it is true. The body is the only part that sometimes tends to complain about things. Yeah. And that might be a sign of something too, but I do see it as a complaint. Yeah. <laughs> you complain too much. Yeah, it gives us signals for sure. <laughs> yeah, maybe I see that's a resistance in the way it might be by the intellect and then the body. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah well, my, my body appreciates you. I can feel an openness in my chest and, and yeah real feeling of love and gratitude. So thank you. Thank you, Yolanda. And before we say goodbye for today, where can we find more information about you, your work, services, and future projects? Well, as of right now, uh, I can be found at, yeah, Um So that's counseling with two L's. And, and stay tuned for more. I don't know where else, but I know more is to come. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank yeah. you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Bye okay. for now. Thank Alana. you. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Alana Newton and her work, please visit compadicounseling.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.